welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric, and I'm very excited to share with you my conversation with John from Gexbot.com as part of the Stock Market Startup Series here on the podcast. Gexbot.com is a very interesting and compelling tool that measures Gex, aka gamma exposure, and is geared towards short-term traders in the market, especially index options traders like myself. Now, in this interview, John is really only going to scratch the surface of what Gexbot.com offers and, and what it can do. So I definitely recommend checking out their website and YouTube channel for more details and information. I'll put a few links in the description or the podcast show notes. And with that, let's get into my conversation with John from Gexbot.com. All right, we have John from Gexbot.com. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much for having me on, Eric. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. I'm, I was really excited to uh, connect with you on Twitter, and I've been watching. Uh, I've watched several of your YouTube videos um, about Gexbot multiple times. I would say because um, just to really kind of understand what it's doing and how I can incorporate it. I was, I was pretty excited to uh, have you on today. I know when we scheduled this, it was uh, <laughs> today's Valentine's Day. So I don't know if you had any uh, plans going on later or you, so like my wife and I, we don't really do Valentine's Day. So it was kind of an easy thing, but then uh, people were messaging me about it today in, the, in my group. But uh, you got any big plans for Valentine's Day? Well, I'm pretty pragmatic, so we kind of uh, had a debate with my girlfriend, and we settled on uh, doing Valentine's Day on the weekend, so that we wouldn't have to deal with the mess of today. Um, you know what? That's so, that is very pragmatic and very uh, very smart because years ago, um, when I was in college and stuff, I worked in a restaurant, and things like Valentine's Day were always like like rookie night for. <laughs> work you know people come in and they're not used to going over you know they try to impress each other maybe it's not like that now but but yeah no that's a good idea saving it for the weekend we, we pretty much do the same thing too that's cool yeah no i think i think when you have that honest conversation where i'm like hey like i really hate these things i don't want to deal <laughs> with them but how can we do this in a way that's going to be good for you and she's like well you know i'd love to do something uh here's what we should do i'm like okay great you know we're, we're settled on something easy um, good for everybody. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And that sounds like, uh, sounds like you got a good, a good match there. Uh, that's cool. Um, so before we get into Gexbot and, and I know we're going to probably go down the rabbit hole today, just tell me a little bit about your background and maybe just how you got into finance or options, you know, what, what's your uh, story? Yeah. So this is going to be a little bit wild, but, uh, I actually went to college for, uh, philosophy and German studies, and I got really deep into academic philosophy for a while. Hmm. Um, and, and so what originally actually interested me about the markets was just that there it's a complex system, right? And it sort of has these like attractors, these inflection points, there's that crowd mentality, kind of like that sort of those images that you see of a school of fish. Um, and that was also what most interested me in philosophy. So I was really deep into sort of this tradition of philosophy that ended up uh, being philosophy about complex systems like this. Um, and I remember like I, I made my first investment, like, I think, I think it, it was a while back and it immediately went against me and I got so frustrated. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so, um, uh, and I was like, well, how can I, you know, how can I do this better? And that just got me into the world of options slowly. And, um, over time, like I continued on my academic philosophy track, but I also kept on just doing a little bit more trading, a little bit more trading. Uh, and I started off actually as a premium seller, um, just doing sort of like tasty trade type stuff. And that went mm -hmm. pretty well uh, until one day it didn't. 
And then I had another question. And so then I just kept on going that far down the rabbit hole, uh, learned way more math and coding than I'd ever expected to learn. And uh, just kind of ended up here with this pro uh, product <laughs> after all of that. So it was kind of a wacky journey, but um, yeah, no, I'm that's cool. It, it's, it's funny. Um, another, another guy that I found on the show, Troy from option Omega. Um, I think he's a pastor on the side. So it's, it's interesting, the philosophy element of um, I guess just around the concepts, right? Like of just why this happens, you know, what is that? Does it mean anything? What does it mean if it does? And um, so that's, that's interesting that you have, that's more of your background and to, to kind of keep those um, that like yeah. technical thing going, but also the philosophical, then yeah, that's interesting. Well, to give people just a little bit of something to hang on to, for instance, and, and this will probably come back, uh, these concepts will pop up a little bit as we're talking about this, but um, a lot of times people in the markets, they ask, you know, like, did this happen because of this? And they're assuming right. a sort of sim simple causality, right? When the reality is, right, there's a lot of reflexivity in the markets. That's a word that people are a little bit more comfortable uh, with. And um, in, in the philosophy I'm used to, we call this like reciprocal causality, right? So we're thinking in terms of loops, cascades, uh, flows, and we move away from thinking about simple causality. And like, that's one of the things that I really, really love about the markets. Um, yeah, you know, no, a that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point um, about, you know, cause, causality in the market. And I know just kind of in the technical analysis world, there's some people um, in various circles that I'm, I'm my trading groups and stuff I'm in, it, it seems like they have it backwards. The, the indicator is really telling you what has already happened. And you can, you know, make some reasonable projections about what you think is going to happen based on that because of previous, you know, um, historical significance or something. But, um, but it doesn't. It, that's not what's causing the the movement, you know. So that's a that's a really good point. You're kind of self-taught with options, and you know, um, I'm assuming you you mentioned taste of trade. I'm I'm assuming you um, did you just did you take any classes or courses, or did you just like learn on your own books and YouTube, that type of thing? Well, I started off reading uh, Natenberg's uh, introduction to options and pricing, that like really yeah. famous book. And then mm -hmm. that just got me absolutely hooked. And then uh, I'm, I'm just kind of the type of guy that just like lo loves to dive into all the textbooks. Um, yeah. Okay. Correctly. Very cool. Um, and then I got, I actually did, <laughs> I took uh, half of a, because I spent some time in Germany, I took half of a uh, master's degree in um, international finance and monetary policy as well. Um, but trading was doing pretty well. And I, you know, didn't really want to move back to Germany. So I didn't end up doing that. But, you know, we did, you know, all the like, getting into sort of pretty deep into like proofs behind like Black Scholes Merton, like option pricing models, all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And Man, I am obsessed with option pricing for sure. Um, that's it's 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 really really cool. Um, and, and that's interesting because this position. Yeah, that that's interesting because it makes me think about like my trading evolution, and and I've I used to be more into I don't say more into options pricing, but now I'm a little bit more into. Um, I, I would just kind of loosely say some other things, and I'm just using options to try to capture profit. Like I don't, I'm not as much of a theta trader as I used to be, I guess, uh, you know, I'm a little bit more, I, I'm, I like to sell premium. I know we'll probably get into zero DTE, but like, I like to sell premium because the, you know, the probabilities on your side and that type of thing, but I, but there's other elements I try to incorporate. So um, I'm less 
less worried about things like IV and things like that. I, I, and maybe it's not as important with zero DTE. No, I, I totally, I'm totally on the same page. That's funny because right, like you do, you make that journey, you go really deep there. And right now, as you can probably tell, my primary focus is how do options affect the underlying, right? Like if right. I go crazy, some guy's going crazy selling, you know, zero DTE puts, how is that going to affect the way that the index moves? Um, and, and it's not like, it, it matters. Um, it matters a whole, t a whole lot. And it's, it's not as simple as you'd initially believe. But then that ends up meaning that even though my obsession is option pricing, my trading is directional. Um, even though I trade volatility, right? I'm focused on volatility. I'm focused on imbalances in the world of volatility, but my trades are directional because I'm focused on the impact that, you know, different, like very well supplied volatility versus less well supplied volatility is going to have, uh, on the market itself. So it's this weird sort of like you go to one extreme to come back to the other one. So I'm totally right. on the same page with you about that. Yeah, cool, cool. No, no that totally makes sense. Um, so yeah, so then, you know, when did you, when did Gexbot sort of launch? And I know it's, you've had some different iterations and things uh, or different um, features, if you will, that you've added recently, but um, what made you decide to uh, launch Gexbot as a as a tool. Yeah, so um, I, I wasn't there from the very beginning. Gexbot, like the the company, um, started around a year ago, and it was really just because uh, there were these Gex charts that were going around, but not a lot of people had uh, Gex by volume uh, at okay. the time. So that's like the gamma exposure at that strike. You kind of net you net out the put versus the call volume, and then you multiply it by the gamma. It's just a way of seeing you know what's being targeted really heavily with that additional filter of the gamma on top. And we can get into why that might or might not be important later. But uh, one of the founders of the company, uh, uh, Jas, uh, he he's a coder and a futures trader. Um, and he was making these charts and these sort of as static images. And then at one point he just mm -hmm. wondered like, what would it be like if I could actually see the charts moving? And so the dots that we have, uh, for those of you guys who haven't seen our charts, we have these, uh, they're called, I call them look back dots. So it tells you what the value at that particular bar was 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes into the past. Mm -hmm. um, that was an initial attempt to introduce some of this sort of more dynamic element into the charts. And then eventually it turned into, man, we really should just make a website out of this that uh, is changing live. And then that just completely changed. Um, like the, the impact of that was way greater than one would originally expect versus just looking at these static charts. Um, and then to, to kind of finish the story off, they launched and I saw that they'd launched and I was already into, I was trading uh, game exposure already. And one of the problems that we'd been working on, uh, me and a couple of buddies are talking about was that the fact that, you know, we have open interest, we have volume, but we don't know whether something is bought or sold. Um, and so we can't see what the true intraday gamma exposure of something is if we don't know whether something has been bought or sold. We're just sort of tallying up volume um, right. and then just assuming that that's an important level. Right. And I had been, you know, looking really, really deeply into uh, concepts around the volatility surface, a skew in general. And I just um, and, and so I reached out to Jasper. and I was like, hey, like you guys have a great visual tool, I think we can probably solve this additional problem and then bake it into the tool. And so we started collaborating. And then uh, a little while later, I think um, Ambrus, uh, Chris from Ambrus, they published a paper on zero DTE um, in which they talked about, you know, monitoring changes in local volatility in order to classify options transactions. And um, 
And then I, 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 you know, had this conversation with Jasper and I was like, all right, like, you know, sounds like <laughs> that cat's out of the bag. We might as well try and like rush this and, and just get it out there. Right. Um, oh man, that's really cool. Man, so many, <laughs> oh, you touched on so many things. I don't even know where to, to, to start. I'm I, sorry. I, the story. No, 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 no. I think it's, I think it's awesome. And listen, we got, a, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, quote unquote advanced people that listen to this show as well. So I think they're, they're going to love that. I do want to back up one second and just talk a little bit about gamma exposure, what that is and what um, what effect that could have in the, in the day, you know, for, and it'll probably geared towards SPX mostly, but let's back up a little bit for someone who's maybe new to gamma exposure and just kind of high level, what is that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, let's start actually by just talking about Delta, right? So if I buy an option, um, it, it, it has a, a, a delta that we can ascribe to it. So for instance, let's say I buy an at the money option, it's probably going to be a 50, 50 delta option thereabouts. Mm -hmm. um, and it, as my option goes in the money, you know, spot price moves, let's say I bought a call, spot price moves up, my options going in the money, um, the delta of that option is actually going to increase. Um, and that's sort of, you can think about it as the share equivalent. So, you know, right. 50 delta option is kind of like buying 50 shares of the underlying and then as spot price moves up, it'll become a 60 delta option, a 70 delta option, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what we, you know, we call convexity. It's the fact that the, the sort of the share equivalent of that option um, can change uh, over, the, over the life of the option. Um, right. And, and so that's what makes options really, really powerful, right? Because for instance, like what I like to do is, you know, I buy like a 20 delta, 15 delta option on SPX when I think I know where it's going, which, you know, it's not financial advice. Don't do it unless you really know what's going to happen. Um, and then I sell it once it becomes a 50 or a 60, right? And so I get a ton of bang. That's how you get those sort of multiplier effects. Right. Um, the gamma, like, as you know, is describes the rate of change of the delta uh, with respect to spot price. Um, so we're saying that, like, we're essentially saying, you know, how quickly uh, is this option going to either gain or lose in terms of its share equivalent? And... The reason that that's important is because there's a lot of, for every option that's bought, there's a seller of that option. There's somebody on the other side. And so they're essentially carrying a convex liability is the way that I like to think about it. Um, and uh, the convexity of their liability um, has to do with the gamma. And the main reason that that's important is because like, let's say that, you know, uh, an option had absolutely no convexity. It's just a transaction for 50 shares. Well, okay, then I just, in order to hedge that transaction, all I have to do is I just have to, let's say that, you know, you bought a call option for 50 shares, there's no convexity on it. Well, then I just buy 50 shares myself as a seller of that option and I'm perfectly hedged. But the fact that the share equivalent is changing um, means that I have to reposition myself consistently as the holder of a convex liability. And those types of phenomena can create cascades um, which is what you know we really like to pay attention to. So that's why we like to think about the gamma. Sorry if that was no, is no that a good, I, that's is a great summary. It's a great explanation. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that you know, I, or I should say I I assume that when probably most transactions, it's really the market maker that's taking the other side. So um, I mean the fact that they fill so quickly tells me that there is you know the market maker is the one that's really taking the other side of my trade, if you will. And um, and so what you're saying is that the 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 market maker or the dealer would be uh, would would get this liability of if you're right and you buy that delta 20 option, 
and it goes to Delta 50, now, you know, somebody owes you money. So they have to hedge that on, on the back end. So now, now kind of bring me, bring me back to like how the GEX or how the gamma exposure sort of shows what that, what the market maker may be doing or what, what the market make would need to do. Is that kind of where you're heading with that? Uh, a little bit. So I'm going to make just one slight adjustment there, which is that, well, yes, I think that uh, or the market maker is the intermediary there, right? They're, they're grabbing the other side of that transaction. In order mm -hmm. to offset as much risk as possible, they're going to want to want there to be as two-sided a market as possible. So for instance, like they want there to be one customer who's selling an option, another customer who's buying an option. And then on each transaction, maybe they'll you know, they'll do the initial sale, they'll profit a little bit off the spread, and then they'll hand that option over to the other customer and profit off the spread again. So if they're doing their job right, hopefully they're not short a ton of options all the time, but rather they're bringing different customers together, matching them up and letting them go on their happy way uh, while they incur no risk and profit off the spread. They're just trying to stay Delta neutral for the most part. Yes, with, with the exception of a couple shops that, you know, have a little bit more leeway because they're so well capitalized. But, you know, in general, it's, it's totally fair to assume that they're going to want to stay as delta neutral as possible. I think what we're kind of addressing here is that while it's relatively simple to stay delta neutral, staying gamma neutral is much more difficult. And that's mm -hmm. why we focus on gamma. Okay, there we go. That's what I was looking for was, was your take on delta neutral market maker stance. That's very interesting. Um, so I want to switch gears and then we'll get, we'll get back into like some of the features of the tool, but when you're going, and then this is a little bit more like, you know, technical from a, from a software company um, standpoint, when you're going from these static charts and then you're saying, okay, well now I want a real time tool. What was that like trying to make that jump? Uh, and, and, you know, uh, well, I'm, I'm, obviously there's challenges in building something like that, hosting and data and that type of thing. But what was your biggest challenge kind of building that tool to, to, to the vision that you guys wanted it? Uh, to be honest, the, the front end, because so that the backend stuff, like we have our, our backend guy does everything in rust. Um, mm -hmm. and it's like insanely fast. Like the, um, the order flow classification algorithm that we have like needs like really, really high speed and precision. Uh, and he's excellent. He did such an awesome job with that. Uh, the issue is like for an application like ours, it's really sort of a custom data visualization application. So it's not like we can grab a pre-made library and then just like throw it on up there. So, so the guys, uh, I, I didn't do this myself, but um, we're right. using React for the front end. And then they there's like a, a, like a sp specific uh, chart.js plugin. And mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how many times like uh, I was just listening to developers just like complaining about how annoying um, getting it to work was because it just didn't, you know, like it doesn't play nice with um, like the plugin that we use does not play nice with the with the rest of the code base for the front end. Mm. Um, and so um, that was a really big mess. And then also actually the history slider was really, really difficult because we had to make some decisions in terms of like, because it's actually a lot, a lot of data because we're preserving every single frame for the the entire day yeah. um, in that history slider. And then the question of like, okay, you know, like how exactly do we chunk it? You know, how are we gonna, and, and it's not it's not perfect, right? You usually have to wait like 15, 20 seconds uh, for yeah. all the history of the day to load, uh, but, it, but it works and we got it there. So that was actually probably the worst part to be honest. Yeah, and and I've thought about that too, because when I um, when I started using Gexbot, I 
I started messing around with that slider. And, and I just know, because I, you know, in the past, um, I, with a trading buddy of mine, we built a, an SPX options back tester a few years ago, kind of before they were more available. Uh, but um, I just know how much data that is. And we were just doing five minute like data, you know, like what, what the option chain looked like every five minutes. And you guys are doing this kind of real time. Um, it's not even minute data, right? Is it's it's real time or how does what's the so it up, it updates every second? Yeah, we're doing okay. aggregates and then updating every second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to um, to be able to rewind the day, if you will, to uh, you know go back and fine tune your strategy or or backtest or or kind of see what happened, I think is pretty. I, I think it. I mean, I think it works pretty well. So for me, for something to load 15 or 20 seconds later, I just know how much data that is. And it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, I don't know how, <laughs> how, how else you would, you know, what other people. Well, there were the, the, the hard things at first, actually, when we were first making this, we had a, uh, we, we, we had a beta and so we'd have users play around with it. And, um, uh, I remember a good number of them were able to like crash their browsers and their computers because we didn't set hard limits between like switching the tabs and having all that load. So it was mm. just like, like take up all your RAM and then everything would just break, you know? Right, um, right. And then eventually we learned, we're like, okay, I guess, you know, I guess we can't let people download like 10 gigs worth of data. Right. <laughs> yeah, that that's, that, I'm sure that was a, a learning curve, but that's pretty cool. Um, so we talked a little bit about gamma exposure. Um, and I, I do want to compliment you guys on the, um, the, what did you call them? The history dots? Is that is that what you called them? Yeah, I call them the look back dots. But look you back can call dots. them whatever you want. Yeah, no, that's a very that's that's a better term. There, um, that is a really cool thing to. And I know we're on an audio podcast, but for people to go check out, if you go and check out the video, the dots are really cool because you can kind of see certain um, levels, price levels, if you will, uh, strikes that exposure. It's just, uh, it's increasing over time, over the last few minutes, or it's decreasing. And so when you see gamma exposures sort of increasing and decreasing, what is your, like, how do you interpret those? Um, I know there probably isn't a, a single way to do it, but what's the sort of interpretation there when you see a, a certain level, let's say below price that the gamma is decreasing, if you will, how do you, for your own kind of style, like, how do you interpret that stuff? Yeah, so it, it kind of depends. Um, so the, the, it's worthwhile kind of distinguishing between the three different uh, underlying types of data that we have on our platform. Um, if you click on classic, you have uh, gamma by open interest. Uh, open interest is information from yesterday, right? It says, you know, it's how many contracts by close yesterday, how many contracts were open at that strike. Um, and so I usually just look at that at the beginning of the day to try and figure out, okay, where are people positioned? Um, mm -hmm. Such that, for instance, right, if we're gapping up and I see that there was a lot of call open interest and that it has, you know, relatively good, uh, relatively heavy gamma exposure, um, I'm going to assume, and this usually plays out, that um, that th those call holders are going to sell and then that liquidation is going to drive us down at least directly off the open uh, or vice versa. Um, and gotcha. but I don't I don't really want to use open interest at, as we're going through the day because you know that that information could easily be invalidated as the volumes transacted are so much higher than the open interest from the previous day. If we're thinking about you know just looking at volume, um, it's 
like in some sense, right? It's a heuristic, and it's not a perfect. It's not. It's not a perfect measure. But um, uh, if there's a lot of volume at a strike, and we're near that strike, uh, it tells me that it's an inc incredibly contentious strike, right? And this is the same as like if you've ever traded futures and you use footprint or something like that, and you see that there's a lot of people fighting over a particular level. It's really quite similar to that, um, because okay. um, to give you an idea, right? The, the wherever the maximum gamma exposure is that's where we have a lot of people who are facing a convex liability that's about to take off in their face. So either they're going to get squeezed or they're going to defend that level with everything they've got. Um, and so most of the people that we know who use classic um, and trade futures or something like that, they'll look at what we call either major negative or major positive um, and look to trade reversions off those levels. Um, okay. So maybe, maybe those as potential support resistance areas. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, it's like just looking at um, what the major pivots are for the day. And if, you know, um, if we're just, and then the other really important pivot is uh, what we call uh, zero gamma, which is right between those two. Um, usually right now we're trading there, we're 49.75, which is mm -hmm. right on zero gamma. Um, today is what I would call a balance day. So we ran right up into major positive. We rejected, came right down to major negative. We rejected. And then now we're just trading around zero gamma. We're just hovering in the middle. And so the all the option holders, which are all the people that are in calls, those calls are decaying. All the people that were in puts, those are decaying. And the flows from those two sets of options decaying above and below us are actually pinning us right in the middle. Um, right. Because if you think about it, right, if you sold, like if the call is decaying, that, that means that whoever's on the other side of that call is able to uh, sell deltas because the more it decays, uh, the less of a liability it is, and vice versa for the put. So then those the flows of those two decays happening simultaneously on either side of us essentially just pin the index right in the middle. Um, gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And so that so that's classic. And and tell me about, uh, so state, is that a newer, one of the newer displays of the data? Yeah, so the best way to understand or start to understand state is actually to click on what we call options profile. And basically what we're doing there is we're monitoring every single transaction that takes place over the course of the day. Um, and then we're basically seeing how the, um, well, I can't get into exactly what we're doing because because that's proprietary, but um, sure. we're um, if you go into our docs, uh, you can read more about it in the uh, metrics page. And we're, we're kind of um, using some research that how volatility did um, to basically we have our own volatility surface model and then we're seeing how transactions impact that surface in order to classify them as buys or sells. And so on options profile, if you see bars to the right, um, that means that those are bought. And if you see bars to the left, that means that those are sold um, by customers. Um, and and uh, purple, the default at least purple is for puts and orange is for calls. Um, and so, for instance, right now I can tell you, okay, there's you know a ton of customer uh, long puts at 49.50, and a ton of customer short calls at 49.90, uh, and then another huge set of customer short calls at 50.20. Um, and yeah. so, I, I can basically look and see how other traders on SPX uh, or any of our other tickers are positioned, um, and we can get into reading that positioning, but. Um, the state package, like the GEX charts for the state package, essentially take that positioning and then reinterpret it into a sort of more granular, more accurate uh, GEX chart. Yeah, it's it's I it, I could just kind of watch this thing all day long, you know, and then realize it's like an hour later. 
because it's, <laughs> it's so fascinating. Um, these positions, um, like you said, you can you can see where the gamut is. Now I know, like you know, like you mentioned, we're trading here at forty nine seventy, almost forty nine eighty now. But um, I know I don't want to say the old days, but in the old days, the quarter strikes, the monthly expirations had more um, impact, if you will, or they were you know, quote unquote, bigger levels. Um, and from when I, you know, when I was learning to trade options, let's say 10 years ago, the quarter strikes or SPX on the monthlies were always kind of like these natural key levels. And, and it was rumored to be that that's where the big hedge funds play. Like, and by quarter strike, I mean, you know, 49.50, 49.75, um, 5,000, that type of thing. Um, but with the introduction of zero DTE, have you seen maybe with your tool or maybe before those type of old maxims kind of change a little bit or, or, or do you see like with, with zero DTEs now, like what, what do you, what's your take on that? Um, the, the, the market effect of that, do you think there is market effect at all, or is it just more, uh, availability or options? Is it more flexibility for retail guys like us to, um, to take advantage of things? No, there, it's it makes a huge difference, and 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 here I'm going to rely on some people besides myself. I mean, like anecdotally, I can tell you what I see uh, in terms of like, you know, am I like an expert at looking at you know um, liquidity in the options markets on monthlies and quarterlies? Not so much. Um, that being said, um, one of the things I, I mean, uh, one of the things that that's pretty important, I think, to realize is that, and this is something that that. Uh, Jem Carson points out a lot. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, mm. it, it's that um, it's very, very difficult to hedge the gamma of zero DTE options with anything aside from zero DTE options, right? Um, right. They're very unique in a sense because it's 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 almost like trading futures, right? Except with that convexity. Um, and it's they're also different in the sense that um, like usually to profit off of an options trade, um, you would also, you're kind of relying on implied volatility to do something. In other words, like other people to have a high demand for that option, uh, for a zero DTE, like it's, it's the whole game is about realized volatility, right? It's about what is the market going to do right now? Uh, I could be holding onto something that's worth a buck. And then all of a sudden, you know, we rock it up 10 points and it's worth three or four, um, because it's responding directly to that price move, um, and, and the other like really important component too is that you know because we're on a fixed schedule, like as time in the day runs out, everything that is not in the money is going to go to zero, uh, and the right. flows that come from that decay being so fast and so intense um, can almost under overwhelm everything else. In, in the early days when we had transitioned to zero DTE, I remember seeing some absolute squeezes at the close, um, and, and it's actually quite possible that we get one today because we're sitting on top of a lot of puts that are just dying. Um, and it's, you know, 1.40 uh, in the afternoon. If we get to 3 p.m. and we're still hovering around this level, those are all going to um, expire, essentially, mm -hmm. um, exponentially faster as we get into the close and we're liable to get a squeeze. Sorry, that's only one half of the question, right? Which is like, why is zero DT so important? Um, right. the, the, other, the, the other part of that that's really important is, right, we're getting so much volume transacting zero DTE. You know, at certain points, we've been above like 50% of like overall, uh, don't quote me on that, I think 44% to 50 of like overall um, uh, volumes transacted have been in zero DTE on some days, which is yeah. insane. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Partially that has to do with margin requirements and things like that that are also a little bit uh, messy. Um, 
I still see that positioning in monthlies and quarterlies is robust and that as we move through expiration cycles, um, that um, whether there's ample uh, like supply, uh, volatility supply has an impact. Um, so for instance, like today was VIX, VIX X um, yeah. and we just saw, you know, we ramped up and then we saw a really massive move back down. Um, I'm quite accustomed to seeing that on VIX expirations, actually. I think mm-hmm. it, 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 as a lot of those like hedges come off because they've expired in the morning and then things get, we sort of reposition. Uh, it's not, let me put it this way. I don't think that zero DT changes where the indexes are going to go in general. I think that, you know, longer term pres- positioning is more important for that. But in terms of intraday price action, um, expanded ranges like 100% every single day. I see it every single day, and it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is pretty crazy watching watching the price action, and and you know, I I, I mostly create spreads for zero DTE just because it's the only way to kind of cap cap your uh, risk. Because I do want to I do want to take advantage of what you mentioned before, whereas half these, half the things on the chain are going to go, go to zero. So I like being on that, um, time decay side, but if you're, if you're a net seller and you're not hedged or using stops or something, and I've just found that stops are not reliable sometimes in that case. So I just kind of stick with spreads because if, if something blows up in my face, then, you know, I've defined my risks. I don't have to worry about that as much, but there's so much more we could dive into. I don't want to keep you too long. I definitely recommend everyone go check out the YouTube channel. Do you think that's the best place for listeners to kind of get familiar and see some of the things that we're talking about? Uh, or what's the best yeah, yeah. to connect with you? I mean, there there's sort of like a lot of introductory content on the YouTube channel. There's some shorts I think I put up there in terms of like setups that you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly wish we had more educational content. We're all kind of like, very nerdy and like not as good as ex- at explaining stuff. We're more good at building stuff, to be honest. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that, you know, we're able to do this podcast and I'm sorry if I, you know, got a little bit too carried away. Um, no, no, I, I think it's great. I mean, we're, you know, the, it's, I really like introducing, um, you know, people like you and projects that you're working on because I think ultimately as people listen to this and, and they just kind of understand some of these underpinning things that, you know, you just don't, you know, like we, we read books, right. But it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, I guess, or it's a lot more nuanced than that. And I, I don't feel like there's books that can explain um, how the market works. Like, like one of you, like the tool that you guys have built. So um, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, that, I think that's, Sorry, no, just to say, like, that's my sense as well. Like, as we were doing this, it, it's like, it, it is very much uncharted territory. And part of that is, like you said, because, you know, zero DTE is so is so new. Um, and it could change again, right? Like, if if all of a sudden, you know, uh, margin requirements actually go up for zero DTE, because currently, like, they're all on intraday margin, which, like, doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. um, then I'm sure this landscape will change again. And then we'll want to rely a little bit more on our, on our view of the weekly. We kind of have to I think move with the market as these structural conditions change and look where the market's telling us to look instead of, you know, being dogmatic about any, any one possibility. Yeah. That's a good point about the market changing. I've, I've read some things about 24 hour Z- zero DTE. I, <laughs> what are you going to do when that happens? 
Well, you know, we're going to have a conversation with our with our data provider and be like, hey, uh, we we need more. Um, yeah. Why yeah. aren't you covering this? If you don't, we're going to leave. And uh, yeah. And uh, but, you know, everything that we've built is is designed to be able to work with uh, with those changes. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to to adapt smoothly and and and, and all of the people that that use our tools to trade will be able to benefit from that. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, John, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm going to have to, once I get more into the tool, maybe I can have you back on to just talk about more. Maybe we can maybe talk a little bit more about strategy. I know today we covered more just kind of a high level of what uh, Gexbot is doing and, and what it's providing, but maybe we can get um, more into strategies and, and stuff next time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's, as you've probably noticed, like there's so much, there's some things that are very clear and obvious and then there are other things that are much more subtle and like you know you'll see somebody get into a position then get out of a position and and then there's a question like what does that mean that they just get stopped out like what like that type of stuff and you can you can go all the way down the rabbit hole um so it's pretty cool in that sense i think all right man well i appreciate it and we'll talk to you soon yeah thanks so much man